this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained about it. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if, I, if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Amen. Thank you. You may give the Lord a hand for the reading of the word. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, Robin and I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Let's jump into a series called People. It's been several weeks, I think this is week four, and what had been in my heart several months ago was to try to connect the historical Jesus that is a painting, is archaic, it's an artist rendering, how do we make him real to people so that he becomes just as real as the random faces that are on the screen? How do we make seemingly this artificial painting become real? I wrestled with it my whole life, how we do it. Uh, how do I really, I don't know, you know, this Jesus, this unseen, how does he become seen? And what I've landed on is the way it happens is his reality is real because it's real to me, and then the reality in me makes it real to other people. And so it really boils down to if Jesus is perceived as a painting only, then it probably would tell the tale that maybe it's his people that have been content to leave him on the canvas versus your life is the canvas. Your life is his reality. You'll hear this a lot here, the term called 50 feet. The reason I use that term is I, I've been in churches where 
ministry is what we do on Sunday. Like, you come and you, you need to get in ministry. And are you in a ministry? And then we go, yeah, I work with the kids. What's your ministry? I open doors. What's your ministry? I'm an usher. What's your ministry? I'm in the nursery. I have no problem with that. But I think it, it's an unfairness of how we communicate it because that's not your ministry. That's a chore. When you're part of a house, that's a chore. Opening doors for people, a chore. Keeping kids, a chore. Being an usher, it's a chore. Your ministry is what you do when you get in your car and head out. And the moment you drive out of the parking lot, you have entered the ministry. You're in it full time, baby. Now the church pays me to be in ministry, but maybe Walmart's paying you to be in ministry, or Home Depot pays your ministry, or a bank pays your ministry, or a, or a community center, or a teacher, or a school. But let me tell you, the moment you hit the parking lot, wherever you're getting your paycheck from, that's God's way to pay you to be in ministry. This, this notion that I or Robin or the elders are the ones in ministry is a farce. All of us are in the ministry. All of us. Beth, cutting hair. Every time you snip, snip, buzz, buzz, it's your ministry. Every time, Karen, you're dealing with people in the corner, in the medical field, every person you talk to, it's your ministry. Garth, every time you tackle people, come on, brother. In rugby, he plays rugby. My Lord, help him, Jesus. He sent me a picture of him destroying someone on the field. Like he was proud. I just had to be proud for him. I'm like, dude, proud. Last time I dove like that, I was wrecking on a bicycle, right? <laughs> By mistake. But when Garth understands out there playing rugby with a bunch of older guys, that's his ministry. God has put him there for such a time as that. And yet I get into that and I don't feel like it's my ministry because I'm frustrated, I'm busy, I've got life, I'm dealing with life, I, I have stuff, I have children, I have, I have cheer, I have football, I have, I have school, I have work, I have chores, i got to clean, i got the house, i got laundry. That we like ministry to be this, that religious checkbox, that I, I gave God an hour of my week on Sunday, I checked the box, I feel better, the guilt left me for a while. That's why Jesus has stayed a portrait rather than a person. It's because we moved ministry from the streets and we dumbed it down to one hour on a Sunday where most people are tired anyway to listen to somebody talk about him so we can go out and eat food and go, well, we did that, praise God, aren't we? Right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I'm glad you're here. But when we understand that Everybody in the room is in ministry. We make a difference. I hate my school. Welcome to ministry. Right? Welcome to the ministry. I don't like the people I work with. Well, welcome to the ministry. That's why you're there. God probably doesn't like them either and he wants them to know. <laughs> That's why he puts you there. <laughs> But then you begin to understand, well, why am I so frustrated? Because you, you don't see what you do as a ministry. The people irritate me. I don't like it. I, and so because of that, religion has become a very introverted, selfish thing rather than it's my 50 feet. It becomes give God a $5 bill to feel better, to thank Him for my job, to 
take communion, so I kind of feel kind of good about myself. And while I hit my 50 feet, and I don't ever own it for Christ because I, I lost sight that it was my ministry. So in 1983, I w was passionate about God, and I think what I thought then is ministry was the church. It's what it was. So I, I would go to school, get out of school, go to church, work at the church, clean the church, guitar, sit on the stage, pray in tongues for hours, write music, sing songs, worship Jesus, pray again. I was 17, 18 years old, passionate in Christ, decided that to be more spiritual, I would learn from... Uh, I would learn the whole New Testament from memory. So that's what I was. That's how spiritual I thought I could be. I can learn 27 books of the Bible by by memory. So I started in the Book of Galatians. I thought hey, I'll start there. It's short, six chapters, right? And so it took me about a month. But in a month, I learned all six chapters of Galatians from memory. It would take me about two hours a day to quote it. But I would start out, I Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, da 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 da, and I would. I would quote the whole thing, chapter 1, 2, 3, all from memory, feeling good about myself. Like, I feel good. I'm spiritual. I can quote an entire book of the Bible. Now I'm going to go to Ephesians, and one day all 27 books of the Bible I will be able to quote from memory. The problem was I came across this scripture in Galatians 2. It became quickly my uh, life verse. When people would say, what's your favorite verse of the Bible? Galatians 2, 20. That's my fa Back then it was my favorite verse. Here's what it said. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in the earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I learned it in the King James because that was before God sent real Bible versions out. <laughs> Garth doesn't like me at all. <laughs> I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You like that one. But the reality was it was a verse that God was going to spend the next 30 years pulling it out of me. It's easy to quote. It's quite another thing to live. The old self. The, I feel real good right now, but the old self would come out. The, the old self that, that was pulled to porn when I was 17 and 18 years old trying to live godly. God, I love you. I'm so passionate. Read my Bible, pray in tongues, play my guitar. But this pull of the old self to look at pornography. And then you feel guilty, like, oh God, I let my old self get the best of me. <laughs> Got my new self, new self. Put on a new self. Get out of your old self. And you bury that old self. And then you have about three weeks of new self. It's winning. And then all of a sudden, the, the old self taps you on the shoulders. You go, dude, I miss you. Let's hang out. It's like, oh, God, and the old self comes back. And then you get prayed for. I just want you to pray, man, that I'll overcome this thing. And then all of a sudden you find yourself kind of, I did good. I, I buried the old self, but then you have a girlfriend and you end up sleeping with her. It's like, oh, I didn't want to have sex before marriage. Now I've blown it, my old self. Oh, God, I'm so passionate for Jesus, but this old self guy just is ruining my life. And it was this new self, old self, new self, old self battle of of, of this just doing really good for a couple of months and then all of a sudden you're out on a Friday night with the guys in the 11th grade and you're drunk. And then you have to go to church because your dad's a preacher and go, God, forgive me, I don't want to live that way. And then the next weekend, come on, Mark, where are you, man? So at 18 years old of 17, trying to quote this scripture, trying to be religiously in love with God, but at the same time there's this old Mark that 
taps on the shoulder at the weirdest times, right when you think you're good, it reminds you that, no, I'm still not buried. I'm still very much alive. You've just been ignoring me for a while. And it was this real battle. It's taken me years to understand it, literally. (laughs) Because I would always think I'm doing good. And, And then New Year's resolutions, all right, this year, I got it. This year, I'm going to do a whole year, and you're going to stay buried. And then you get to February, and it's like, dude, I'm just tired. Can we play? Can you just spend some time with me? I miss you. And you buddy up with your old self, your old habits, your old addictions. And, but because you're religious, you feel guilty, and so you pray for forgiveness. And, and then you realize that the very first line is, is a battle because it uses the word crucified. I'm crucified. I don't even like that word. I crucified. And when I thought about it, crucified, well, well, that by the very nature took me Jesus to be crucified. What did he have to say? It's not my will, but it's your will be done. It's not what I want, it's what you want. And now I realize, oh my Lord, there's this huge battle here. I'm trying to represent Jesus, but there's the battle of what God wants out of me versus kind of really what I want for myself. And really, that's why I'm kind of in this thing, because I I need you to bless me and help me and fix me. And so he becomes the God of the genie, the God of the bottle, the God of the four-leaf clover, the, the rabbit's foot God. Fix me, help me, bless me, but not crucified. Because to get me out of the way, I want God to help me not get me out of the way. I don't like dying because to die, to be buried, that means it takes a lot of effort to dig up a corpse. It takes a lot of effort to to move the grass and the tombstone and go six feet down and then take the lid off and then take the other lid off the coffin that they're in. It takes a lot of effort, but, but when you're religious, you don't really bury you. You just put you in a bag in the closet for a rainy day. So I'm really not buried. I'm just in the closet behind all the shoes until things go wrong and I will come out of that bag. And so hence it chases you forever. I remember praying, asking God, I guess by then I was in my late 20s, God, why can't I conquer this thing of just the old me that keeps coming back, the... Like, I thought I was supposed to have authority over this thing. And and I heard the Lord say, Mark, you can't overcome something you're a buddy with. And you can't overcome something you keep in a sack. You have to bury it. And I realized in my faith that I had never buried me because I liked me. I only buried me for the sake of getting my conscience to feel better. But I didn't bury me because really in my help pocket I needed God to bless me, not bury me. I want the God of blessing, not the God of burial. It's not what I like. It's not romantic. It doesn't sell where to a younger generation. Hey, why don't you just bury yourself and trust God? It's like, no, nobody over here would serve that kind of God. What we want you to know is he'll give you a job. He'll give you a car. He'll give you a spouse. He'll bless you. He'll give you tattoos. He'll... Right? I mean, it's not that it's wrong because God does all that stuff. God does bless us. God does grant us favor. God does wow us with his incredible faithfulness. But, but that crucified thing, it's no longer Mark that's living, but it's Christ. And it's been years of battling the I'm alive, he's alive, who's alive. And uh, 
I hate to tell you that it's taken me 30 plus years to figure out what the real battle is of why Jesus stays so archaic when we are so religious. And this is the thought I landed on today. We're religious, but we're selfish. We're religious, but selfish. And when a Christian is selfish, it's hard for Jesus to be real to people. Because he really is not more much than a lotto with lucky numbers. You just hope, I want him to bless me, fix me, help me, answer all my prayers. And when he's done, I'm kind of like ticked. And when he doesn't, I don't really know how to tell people like, why didn't God do all this for me? And if he didn't do it for me, well, then maybe he's not real anyway. So the whole thing is kind of weird. That we become selfish, but the problem, well, not the problem. I think the reality is the word selfish fits us all. I've never met a human yet that's not selfish. Older people typically are much less selfish because they've had time to trust self and realize it didn't work well. And so old people typically tell you, just trust the Lord because they've already been selfish. They've already burned the bridges. They've already been in debt. They've already had credit cards maxed out. They've already married a jerk. They've already pressed through it all. And now they've come to, well, just trust him. Right? That's why all the old people are laughing. They're like, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> Us younger people are like, I think I can trick the system. Because <laughs> I'm going to trick it and get a tattoo that says I trust him, but I don't, but it is. Right? I'm religious, but I'm selfish. I didn't like it. I don't like the selfish mark. He feels ungodly. He feels, he feels like he's going to go to hell. I like the religious mark, the mark that prays, the mark that speaks in tongues, the mark that reads his Bible, the mark that ties, the mark that will give guitars away. I like the religious mark. I feel good, but man, the tap, selfish mark. He's, oh, and if you want to know he's there, just get married. Oh, you don't know how selfish you are till you get married. You want to know how selfish you are? Have children. Ugh. Right when you think you've conquered the demon of selfishness, your wife goes, I'm pregnant. Ah! I was going to get that motorcycle, now I can't. Uh, right? I had three girls. We had three daughters. And I'm just dying. When you live with all women, you die to selfishness every day because you're never right. It's just like, Jesus, if I couldn't have a boy, at least we could pee outside. <laughs> right? I mean, Robin, can I just teach one of them how to write their name in the snow with their tinkle? No, they are girls. Uh, I'll never win. Selfish. I didn't realize how selfish I was till I married, and I didn't realize how selfish I was till I had children, and you realize that it's almost like God has orchestrated everything in our lives to touch that old person that always wants to come back. You need to die, Mark. You need to die to that thing. You need to die. I'll never forget, I, I saved up $31,000. It was a miracle. God only knows how it happened. I don't know. I, I could have been doing drugs. I don't know. I was a preacher. I think I had like 20000 I did. I had $21,000 saved up. And I told Robin, I said, finally. Finally, we had three, four girls then. Finally, I have saved up enough money to buy me a Harley Davidson. That's all I wanted. 
That's not selfish. It's just the best motorcycle ever. I wanted to look cool. I wanted ape hangers. I wanted tattoos. I, I just, yeah, I just wanted to look like I was going to hell. <sighs> right? I wanted to look bad. Robin said, I don't know why girls always choose bad boys. I'm like, really? <laughs> so I go to buy, the, I go to buy the, the motorcycle. I drive down to Savannah Harley-Davidson. I've got my money in the bank. I'm going to buy it. I get out. I'm walking in. I cannot wait. I already know what I'm going to get. My heart is so happy. And I walk in, and this is what I hear. It wasn't my wife. It wasn't my children. It was a voice I heard walking to buy a Harley-Davidson. I wish I didn't hear God. I wish God wouldn't speak, but here's what he said to me. Why don't you buy your children a swimming pool instead of you a motorcycle? Why don't you get behind me, Satan? I rebuke you. I don't know who you were right there. I take authority over that voice. And I remember in the Savannah parking lot of the Harley-Davidson dealer having a moment to buy the motorcycle I always wanted and then realizing you're a blooming father and you could bless your kids with a swimming pool. And I just wish they didn't even swim. God, I could just throw them in the river or something. I don't... And I came home and we bought a swimming pool. Was it hard on my flesh? Yeah, I think God sometimes touches the dream just to see how fleshly we are. Maybe it's because he knows when we're selfish, we really don't present a good Jesus to people. We present a portrait or a painting. But everybody in the room, no matter who we are, we, we've been selfish. And so in praying that out, like, I don't want to be that. I, I genuinely, like, in everything in me, I do not want to be selfish. But no matter how much I try not to be, it seems like that there's something weird about humanity that it's selfishness is kind of just always there. I want to be happy. I want to, want to be fulfilled. I, and then even weird, like even the sermons we preach a lot are kind of geared towards selfishness. Like, like you can prosper and you can, you can have all your needs met, and, and, which is true. I love all of that. Like I believe all of that. But, but it's almost like if I'm not careful, even the promises I run for, I don't really run for them because they're God's promises. I run for them because I'm kind of selfish. And so I've wrestled with it, literally wrestled with it since 1983. And I was just thinking about my life back then, like the journey of my life and how I've come to 56 years old now and what I was going to say today. So last night I Googled the top songs of the 80s. Mm, come on, somebody. Anybody from the 80s? Come on, 80s. Raise your hand, 80 people. Best generation ever. Now here, here you got to be bold. you got to be bold. How many of you 80 people wore parachute pants? Oh, yep, yep, yep. Parachute pants. My God, how we didn't get killed, I do not know. I tried to find a picture of me in parachute pants. Horrible. I did find a matching sweatsuit that had a pink stripe, and me and Robin were matching. Oh, my gosh. 
I Googled the top songs of the 80s, and this is how it came up on my phones. I, I didn't cheat. I just, just like it was on the phone. And when I looked at that, I thought, my God, that is a prophetic story of my life. <laughs> Anybody remember Total Eclipse? Turn around every now and then I get a lift. And at the very last of the verse, it's like, turn around. <laughs> and it's like, I'm falling apart, turn around. I'm like, oh, my God, the first song of the 80s talks about falling apart. That was me. Half serving God, half serving me. Second song, my mother. Mom, I'm falling apart. I'm getting drunk on Friday night. You just need to pray. <laughs> oh. Oh. Take my hand and I'll. Oh. It's like. Like my whole life, my mother's like, you just need to pray and repent. And I'm like, Mom, I just want to dance with somebody. I want to feel the heat with somebody. <laughs> I'm literally watching this like, Mark, why do you keep chasing those girls? Girls just want to have fun. Oh, girls, they want to. But I couldn't listen to that because it was Cindy Lauper. She was a lesbian. I'll go to hell. I, I, I listened to it secretly. I just didn't tell my mama, who's Pentecostal. I just want you to know, Mom, I'm listening to this lesbian woman sing a song. It's awesome. <laughs> Sweet child of mine. Man, I thought about the first kid I have and how much of selfishness was eradicated in me with kid number one. Then you feel like you're falling apart and somebody in your life just tells you, Don't stop believing. Hold on to the feet. I'm, I'm practicing my dance because I got a wedding and we've got to do a father-daughter dance. And me and oh, me and Soph are gonna bring it. It's gonna go viral. I'm not even gonna tell you what I'm gonna do, but it ain't gonna be like a preacher. It's too much money. If you're lost and you look and you will find me. Time. time after time, I'm doing good. No, I'm not. I'm bad. I'm doing good. I fell apart again. I'm doing good. I'm addicted. I'm doing good. There's that dad blame habit. I just Googled it and I thought, that is just weird. That was like this constant failure, but just pray. Failure, failure, just keep believing. It's just like we get used to it. A little bit of me, a little bit of Jesus. A little bit of Jesus, a little bit of me. And maybe if we can mix it just right, we can be just religious enough to make it to heaven But while people die and go to hell. So let's go back to Jonah. It's 11 verses. I'll just read it again and I'll tell you what God put in my heart. That I hope challenges you like it did me. Because for the first time since the 80s, I landed on this week what I think it means to be selfish. And I don't think selfishness means that you have desires. Desires are okay. God wants you to have desires. He even says, I'll give you the desires you need to have. I mean, it's okay. It's okay to be emotional. It's okay to want to be happy. You were, you were an emotional being. To pursue happiness is a great thing. So what I used to think selfishness was, was me just, just, ugh, 
any, don't, don't even think about me. Don't even run after me. Don't even pursue a Harley Davidson. Ugh, don't even buy a guitar. That's just selfish living. Give all your money to God. It's kind of what I thought, but then the more I thought, well, it's okay if you want a Harley, go buy it. If you want a guitar, get it. God doesn't care. You want a good house, go get it. Work hard, pay your bills, pray, ask, I mean, just do it. But then what is selfishness? If it's not just my stuff, because stuff is okay, even Jesus said, if you'll seek me, I'll give you the stuff. So here's Jonah. Verse 1, the change of plans greatly upset Jonah, so he complained to the Lord. And I realize that all of us have plans in life, and when those plans don't go well, selfishness comes to the core. When the plan didn't go well, I was supposed to be there at this time, but traffic, oh, traffic, God, I hate traffic. When the marriage didn't go well, when what Jenny said didn't go well, I, I had a child, but my child had a heart deformity, and the plans didn't go very well. What I had planned, God didn't do for me. So this greatly upsets us. We're human. We're supposed to be upset. We're emotional. When things don't go according to plan, we get upset. God knows this about us. But something weird happens because it's not the emotions that God's upset with. God doesn't mind you being emotional about things. Or even complaining to Him. But then Jonah answers in a weird way. He said, you want me to really tell you why I ran away from what you wanted me to do? I'll tell you why. And he says this, because I know you're compassionate. He didn't run from God because he was afraid. He didn't run because he was afraid to witness. He didn't run because he was scared to go to Nineveh. He ran because of one thing. He was selfish and only saw God's compassion for himself and never for other people. He wasted God's compassion on himself. And when I realize that your compassion is for other people that I hate, that ticks me off. And suddenly it, it, it kind of becomes relevant to my own life that if I only use God's compassion for me, fix me, bless me, help me, fix my marriage, help me get to work on time, give me a job, give me a spouse. Yes, 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 yes. He's a God. He will, he, but when all of his compassion is generated toward me and me only, something's wrong. Something's really wrong. And what's wrong is I'm wasting his compassion only on my needs. Because what Jonah really wanted is I want you to destroy those people. And as I read that passage, it became clear from 1980 to the present that selfishness is not so much about me versus God and do I want a Harley or do I think more about myself. The only way to understand selfishness is not in a duality, but it's in a triangle of what I think about God, what God thinks about me, what I think about people, what people think about God, what God thinks about people, and in that triangle of God, people, me, God, is where you will really find a selfish person. Because if you want to know the root of selfishness, it can only be in understanding how God views other people. Not how you view them. We can be racist, we can be critical, we can be complainers. How God views those people determines whether or not I'm a selfish human. Next verse. That sounds pretty clear. Kill me now. 
I'd rather die than be alive than what I predicted won't happen. And the Lord replied, well, is it okay? Is this right for you to be upset about this? What is the this? It's not my Harley Davidson. The this is not the swimming pool. Or is it right for you to be upset about this? What? That I'm thinking more about other people than I'm thinking about you. And that just flips a brother upside down. And I go back to the Harley Davidson moment. God is thinking about my children and I'm thinking about me. God, give me the best deal. Oh, Lord, let me get a good finance rate. The Lord's like, good, yeah, yeah, okay. But first, I want you to, I'm thinking about your kids. What? I know you don't even think about our kids. My kids are good. They're all great. Yeah, but I want, I want you to see the compassion I have for them. And I had to see his compassion. They weren't, they weren't begging me. They weren't, please, Daddy, give us a pool instead of a motorcycle because you'll be a better daddy or because we think you're a very selfish father. I never even heard that from them. But in that moment, looking back, I realized that selfishness is not connected to me wanting a Harley. It's connected to what I think God wants for other people. And will I be a part of that equation or will I just back off? So the next verse. And Jonah went out to the east side and he just waited to see what would happen to the city and God arranged a leafy plant to grow there and as soon as it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head shading him from the sun, this eased his discomfort. Proof that God doesn't mind easing your discomfort on this planet. He will ease your discomfort. He'll give you that house. He'll bless you. He'll give you a car. He'll give you the job. He doesn't have a problem with that. The problem is, is it reveals things. Now Jonah's happy. I got what I wanted and now I'm good. Me and God, man, we're trekking now. I'd just like to give praise. God gave me a job. I'd just like to give praise. I got a raise. I'd just like to give praise. Didn't have a car. God gave me a car. Shout out to God. Best God ever. Because that's kind of what it means to testify. Let me tell you what God did for me. Not let me tell you how God interrupted my day, messed me up, took my money, took my time, had other plans, asked me because he saw something in somebody else and he got me out of bed to go see what he saw in somebody else when I wasn't even thinking about the other person. But in that moment, the compassion of God led me to another person and I had to die to selfishness for God to use me to see them. That's hard. Because they are an interruption. They were not part of my day. They were not on my scope. They were not in... And then suddenly the they were not in my becomes my real goal of selfishness. He's grateful when life goes his way. So are we all. We're grateful when we hit every green light. We're grateful to get the raise. We're grateful that God worked my marriage out. You would think God went in there, but God doesn't. God's trying to get in its attention. Verse 7 and 8. But God also arranged for a worm. Anybody ever met one of those? Everything's going well, and then all of a sudden, bam. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. It just almost makes you think, yeah, man, God's having a bad day. God's like, here's what I'm going to do. You know that little plant you love. I'm about to just destroy it. Oh, I'm going to be so fun taking your plan away. Oh, it just makes me giddy. It's not that God gets giddy sending a worm. It's that God's trying to bring a man to understand the root of selfishness. And it's in all of us. And it has nothing to do with whether you want a car or whether you give your money to God or you give your money to the golf course. 
It has very much to do, though, that when the leafy plant died, he said it's just better to die than to live this way. In other words, if God is not going to fix me, help me, bless me, give me everything I pray for, peace out, God. You ain't got time for that, God. He's probably not even there anyway. Or otherwise, he would give me all my stuff and answer all my prayers and fix all my needs. And, and so God says, is it right for you to be angry because your plant died? I would love, I could take months of telling you how many times I was a little upset at God because he didn't bless my little plant. He didn't answer the prayer on time. He didn't do what I wanted him to do. He didn't jump when I stomped my foot. He didn't obey me when I commanded him in authority of what I needed him to do. And it's almost like he ignored me. Are you mad, Mark? Are you mad that you're you mad you didn't get your Harley? Are you mad I interrupted your day? Come on, Mark. Talk to me. Talk to me, Mark. What's up, Mark? Come on. And then I love the answer. Only like a human can talk back to God. The last two verses. And the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, but you didn't even do anything to put it there. It came quickly and died. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Not even to mention the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for all these people? And in that moment was the revelation I got of a true selfish person. Me. Selfishness is not... I want to spend a lot of money on a nice truck. I wish I could buy that nice Harley. That's not selfishness. Selfishness is when me and God are trekking really well together, but none of my energy is using His compassion toward other people. They're not my ministry. They're not my responsibility. So my whole life is geared toward me and God living life and I miss the compassion he has for other people. So that, here's my thought. i give you the thought. And this is what I've worked out. Selfish, if you're selfish. It means bless my plant while I ignore the people. If you want to know if you're selfish, best way is you get more irritated that your car didn't start than the person you've worked with for five years may be spending eternity without Jesus. That doesn't bother me. I've been working with them for five years. I don't know if they're going to heaven or hell. They seem like a good person. I'll tell you what I'm miffed about. Got a flat God. <laughs> Give me grace on this flat. Oh, stupid car. And then God puts you two feet away from somebody. You're irritated about a flat, but they're going to spend eternity without God. You don't even have the... You've wasted all your compassion on your tire. I say you, you, you. It's me. I appreciate much more to myself. I can't believe the chips are stale. I like fresh chips and I cannot lie. The other chips I can't deny. Oh, why do they bring me stale chips? I feel like the chips are left over from last night. I like fresh ones. Oh, the salsa's too hot. I'm more irritated about the chips and salsa than the fact that the person that waits on me every week might spend eternity without God, but all my compassion is wasted on God trying to help me not be irritated about these chips. 
in that moment when the chips matter more to me than the soul of the person bringing the chips, I'm selfish. When your Netflix documentary that you've been watching religiously and you are zoned in, Robin's like, when are you coming to bed? I don't know. <laughs> How long are you going to stay up? I only got 42 more episodes. I'll be there. Oh, I got addicted last week. I'm, I'm just sorry. I got addicted. I'm just trekking, man. Just ugh. It's like 2 in the morning. I'm like, just one more. Just ugh, one more. I get all the way to... Ep- I'm not going to tell you what it is because it'll irritate you and you'll want to blow something up. I watched the whole blooming thing. It's 2.10 in the morning when I finished the last one. I'm like, oh, man, what a series. Cannot wait for season two. Google, when is season two coming out? Netflix has canceled the series for lack of... No! No! No season two! You gotta... Are they gonna get married or not? Oh, my God. Literally, I lost it. Like a preacher by myself. The dog looks at me like, what are you doing? I literally am just shaking like, what's... I don't know who killed who now. Who married who? Who divorced who? Oh, no season two. Yet I've never even gone across the street to even see if my neighbors know God. But I'll stay up to 210 to get ticked that there's not a season two. You realize that selfishness is not in relation to whether there's a season two, but if all your energy and compassion is given to that misery... Versus, you know, I don't even know if my neighbors are going to heaven or not. I don't even know if the person I sit by every day at school even knows Jesus. I don't even know if my best friend, because I never say anything to them. And in that moment, here was my conclusion. A religious but selfish Christian wastes God's compassion slowly for their own gain and emotional happiness while never giving any energy to souls who are lost. That's the best I got for selfishness. This morning, Sam, would you stand up? This morning, Sam comes to me, Pastor, I've got to introduce you to a friend of mine. I said, okay, man. I ran over there, Tony. I'm going to embarrass you. Stand up, Tony. Thank you, Tony. There's Tony. Give Tony a hand. Hey! Sam, selfish religious old Sam over there, is going to sleep in today, he said, because he's got a Braves game to go to later. The Falcons, same thing. They're both losers. <laughs> oh! Oh! I'm just kidding. <laughs> I messed the whole testimony up now. Going to a Falcons game, I just think I'm going to sleep in today. I'm just going to go to a Falcons game and enjoy them and skip church, which is cool. He can do that. It's free. But his own testimony was to me, God told you what, Sam? Get out of bed and go get Tony. Where was Tony, Sam? Mableton in a drug house. And he wakes Sam up on a Sunday morning and says, get out of bed. You're not sleeping in today. You're going to drive to Mableton. You're going to get Tony out of a drug house where Tony's hanging out. Tony, what did God tell you today hanging out in a drug house? Get up and get ready for church. (laughs) You both understand it. 
Tony's sitting in a drug house where they're dealing heroin, and God tells him, get up, you're getting ready for church. And Sam is laying in bed, thinking, I'm just going to go to the Falcons game today. And God's like, oh, not today, bro. Because if you go, you done messed me up because I done woke Tony up. And I told Tony, get ready. And if you don't go, Tony ain't going to church. And if Tony don't go to church, it goes to hell. I'm blaming you, Sam. Because I done woke Tony up. He didn't call Tony and say, get dressed. I'm coming to get you, Tony. His own testimony was, I don't know how I'm going to talk Tony into going to church. God already walked Tony up. Why? Because God's compassion toward Tony is more compassion than going to the Falcons game. In his, in his, his eternal godness, he's thinking about Tony more than the Falcons game. He doesn't care if Sam goes to the Falcons. The Falcons will probably win today because of it. And y'all will be watching the Falcons going, with well, Tony, let the Falcons win. Come on, God. And if the Falcons don't win, it's because the devil's ticked that Tony came to church today. Is God not big enough to just get him up and get him to Believer's Church? It's not how God works. Because Sam is the missionary on the planet. It's his ministry. I don't care if you're tired. I don't care if you want to sleep in. And I don't care if your brother bought you Falcon tickets. Get your hind up out of bed, boy, because we got work to do before you go to a ball game. Amen. Well, Lord, what are we going to do? Shut up, boy. Follow me. I've already been working. And over here, hey, Tony, it's me. Y'all wake up. You're going to church. Do you dare believe that the people you work with, go to school with, that God could potentially be whispering to them, but they're never going to hear his whisper because you don't show up. They never hear his whisper. They're left standing on the front porch, dressed and ready to meet God, but nobody ever shows up because we're selfish. I'm in a hurry. i got to live life. i got stuff i got to do. Don't mess me up, God. And that is what I think it means to be selfish. It's when you don't want to be interrupted by God to take his compassion to another soul. I don't like interruptions. I like you to fix interruptions and bless interruptions, not mess me up. And that mark has been alive for years. I love you. You love me. We're good together. Oh, man, but interruptions where you want to use me for the compassion of other people. I'm in a hurry. I'm busy. And I had to train myself. Oh, no, no, no. I'm never too busy to let God work. I'm never too busy to let the Lord do what he's got to do. I pray that's your prayer today. Would you stand and let me pray for you? Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.